Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, we speak with Dr. Esther Ellis, the territory's epidemiologist, who's providing more details about the most recent positive lead and copper results in children. The territory's lawmakers now seem to be in opposition to a former senator's request for a zoning change after initially indicating support. We speak with the St. Thomas St. John District Teacher of the Year. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. Department of Health Territorial Epidemiologist Dr. Esther Ellis is providing more details about the most recent positive results from lead testing on children. She, however, says federal law limits what she can disclose. I can't really say much about the children because they uh, are protected by HIPAA. And so since it's only two, we want to be really careful to protect their privacy. What I can say is that it's not unusual that um, it's, it wasn't surprising that we found two cases. We usually find about... Um, three to four cases per year of children testing positive for lead. And that's uh, a normal amount that's comparable to what's seen stateside as well based on our population. And so as of Friday, we've tested 1,270 individuals. Um, and as you know, we did find two. Dr. Ellis says follow-up testing was done and more will follow. We did do home inspections for those two. And um, we did find lead uh, within the home and uh, have, have wor we're working with those um, households to help mitigate uh, what was found. We have not tested the water yet uh, in those two homes. That is still uh, pending completion. She says the presence of lead is not unusual. Lead can be found um, beyond water. It can be found in paint, soil, car batteries. Uh, lead can be in imported toys, cookware spices, herbs, uh, fishing weights and sinkers, and also industrial automotive and marine time occupations. So um, it's, uh, it's definitely important to uh, get children tested. They should be tested uh, once a year uh, until the age of two. So really two tests um, to ensure that there's no uh, exposure within the home. As for the children who tested positive for copper exposure. So um, the children that tested positive for copper um, barely tested positive. They were just um, just above the cutoff. And there actually hasn't been a lot of uh, copper testing done in children. So we're working with um, other agencies that have more experience in, in copper testing. And also, um, you know, their recommendation is that these cutoff values aren't well established because th that testing isn't routinely done in that age group. Um, but we are doing an additional um uh, we are doing additional follow-up with those cases as well. Dr. Ellis said she can't address whether the children who tested positive are experiencing any symptoms. Um, I can't speak to that um, because, like I said, it's only two, and that would be talking about a, a particular child's um, health information mm -hmm. and um, signs and symptoms. So at this time, I can't speak to that. Um, what we can do at some point is provide a summary of the cases that have been seen um, in the past 12 months and what potential signs and symptoms were in a combination of cases so that it does protect the privacy of, of, um, of these two. 
She says the Department of Health uses state-of-the-art equipment and will continue its testing. We do routine lead testing. We've been doing it for years. Um, as, as I started with, we, we see about three to four cases per year. And when that happens, we go into the home and do a home assessment. We have a, a piece of equipment called an XRF, and it, um, it, it looks like a fancy bar scanner, but you can point it at various objects and test those objects for um, metals beyond lead, but including lead. Um, so that's what we use to, to determine if it's in paint, if it's in cookware, um, you know, what, what it is in, in a particular house. Dr. Ellis recognizes that some people may still be anxious about the findings. I don't know that I can quell the fears, only, only that it's very important that all children get um, capillary blood lead testing. So, so if you are worried and your child didn't get uh, capillary blood lead testing done yet, you can still go to get tested at our clinical labs. Um, so you can either go to St. Croix Clinical Lab or you can go to Frederickstead Healthcare. And the capillary blood lead test is just a screening test. If that's positive, then we have to do a venous blood draw where you actually collect blood directly from the vein. And that can either confirm or rule out uh, the presence of lead. So I, I know the Department of Health has been very transparent and we've been releasing these numbers uh, as in real time as we test. Uh, and so in, in real time, we, we have found two positives. Um, it's not surprising because it's within what we would expect really to find. Um, and and lead is unfortunately in, in many things. If you um, have been reading the news, you might have also seen a recall of applesauce. Uh, and this was nationally that um, many individuals were exposed to and cases were found due to this um, particular applesauce that contains lead. So it is in our environment and we all have to be careful to prevent exposure, especially to children. And the reason why I say especially to children, because children absorb nearly four times as much lead from the GI tract than adults. And children less than two years of age, specifically, like we've been talking about just now, can retain half of absorbed lead, whereas adults only retain 1%. Um, and so it's, uh, it's important that all children two years of age and less get tested once a year. So that would mean at 12 months and two years, just to ensure that they uh, are not being exposed to lead, not only uh, potential water sources, but many other sources of lead. A Charlotte Amali High School English literature and composition teacher is the new Teacher of the Year for the St. Thomas-St. John District. Chevelle Simeon says her interest in education started at an early age. I think I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was a little girl. Like, my mom bought me this chalkboard, and I would, like, write my lessons out on it. I'd be my cousin's teacher. And I think it's just a matter of loving school. I went to a really good um, elementary school, and I had a great time there. And ever since then, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. She says so many things are acts of teachers, so receiving recognition has been a humbling experience. As the landscape of education is constantly changing, we as teachers constantly have to adapt to those changes. And so sometimes you wonder if you're doing it right. Did you get it? Did, did that training make sense to you? 
and to be recognized as teacher of the year it feels like okay yes i get it yes i you know i'm reaching my students in a way that's meaningful and impactful and it's being recognized miss simeon says she appreciates the professional recognition but it means way more to her personally as a parent of two young boys with autism who also attend public school i often remind myself that I want to be the teacher that I want them to have. And so personally, I feel like I'm able to be that example that regardless of what you have going on, if you step out each day, put your best foot forward, put the children first, like you can make a difference. And so personally, I want my sons to know that, you know, there are teachers that care, that want to help, that, you know, are going to look out for their best interests. So it, it means a great deal, both personally and professionally. To her fellow teachers, she says, just be authentic. That's what really makes the connection with students. We wonder, how do we reach today's learners? Because they're so different from how you and I were when we went to school. I'm sure you probably um, can relate. So being your authentic self gives the students something to connect to. You know, students can can really figure out a fake. I've taught elementary and high school, and regardless the age, they know when you don't know. And so I would always recommend be authentic, be real, be honest with your students. Show them your human side. Show them it's okay to make mistakes. Show them that you make mistakes. And, you know, just showing them that humanity, if you can reach them, you can teach them. And that's my philosophy. You're listening to the WTJX News Feed. There's been a development in the case of 16-year-old Vincent Casanova, who was reported missing more than a week ago. VIPD spokesperson Kishma Chichester says the boy's father told authorities he spoke to his son on the telephone, but still does not know where he is. Chichester says the teen is still considered missing because she says police must see the child in person to remove him from their missing persons list. After initially supporting a zoning request for the residential property owned by former Senator Positive Nelson, the legislature may be headed to an about face. It started when Senator Alma Francis Heiliger told colleagues that at least one of Nelson's neighbors isn't feeling much of the serenity from his property known as Serenity's Nest. I, however, got an email from the neighbor the individual that we were told was on board with this project, she is not on board. She clearly shared with us that her family on many occasions have to leave their home during the times these events are happening. She has all underage grandchildren living in the home that can't sleep to go to school on Mondays. And the many things that are listed here to include rental space and amphitheaters and all of these things in a residential R1 zone. There's a reason why people purchase R1s. And for us to now do a disservice to them and take away their peace and their serenity is not fair if we do this. Senator Carla Joseph says she's also talked to that same neighbor. 
And she said there are times she have to buy a whole bunch of candles. She has to buy air freshener because her whole area is consumed with uh, marijuana smoke. She even mentioned she even mentioned that sometimes she can't get up into her her place where Time. she lives because she has to call PD. We spoke with former Senator Nelson, who tells a very different story. He says the neighbor initially opposed his request but then changed her mind. My neighbor did op oppose the issue at the DPNR hearing. That's a public matter. You could send the records and see that. My neighbor did meet with me, I think, a day or two prior to the hearing, saying she did not want to be in opposition. She, she sent a letter to them. They did not, I noticed they did not read that letter during, during, during the Senate hearing. And I, like I told her, I've been here for some 10 years. Serenity has been in operation for some, for some way, almost three years. And I haven't never had an issue with uh, the neighbor complaining. He says the neighbor has expressed concern about scheduling more music and the smell of marijuana. She was concerned that at the time that music was going to be more often than Sundays. She did mention sometimes she said smoke of death. She said smoke of death and smoke from the fiber and smoke from marijuana. She said I I I'm, I I marijuana smoke made me sick. So when I smell it, it made me sick. So I said well. It's hard to believe that unless it's somebody must have been working during the day up there and then must have stopped to take a puff. Nelson questions, though, how the music and the smoke actually causes problems. I have a house between the neighbor and Serenity's nest, and that's a whole half acre. So, and then you have the next half acre where Serenity's nest is on to the front. So I'm not going to get in a public spot with her. Uh, her concerns as it relates to noise and legitimate, that's why we usually... Uh, shut down by, by before midnight, you know, a special occasion, like, uh, you know, a, a holiday coming up the next day, such as like Christmas coming up and Christmas Eve is a Sunday. We're only open one day a week on Sunday. He says he would like to find a solution agreeable to everyone in the neighborhood. I don't have an environmental issue here. I don't have no real problem here with any of the other neighbors. Uh, my neighbors are all the people around Morningstar Hill, uh, the whole surrounding uh, Bad Esperance area, and even up on the hill up there in, 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 in uh, Caledonia. I live in this neighborhood. This is not somebody else's neighborhood. This is me. This is not me having a business in somebody else's neighborhood. I live in this neighborhood. I have a Zen garden here. This is where I'm in my space. Nelson says his request is very simple. Allow me to be a business owner. Allow me to take what, what I've just done out of just me doing to be able to make some money off of it so that I can grow myself, uh, grow something for my family, my four children, my grandchildren. I encourage people to visit Serenity's Nest. We have Express out here on, on, on Christmas Eve. I'm having a party on Christmas Eve. Come on in. I, you need to contribute to help me cover the cost. But come on in and see what the vibe is about. Lawmakers did not vote on the zoning change request. They did send it back to the Committee of Jurisdiction, though, for further discussion at the request of Senator Angel Bolquez. The Virgin Islands Good Food Coalition got high recognition at the Market Makers' 13th Annual Farm Credit Awards. They earned the second-place prize for their Market Maker Farm and Food Business Profile Development on the territory. We spoke with Good Food Executive Director Summer Sibley brown to explain just what Market Maker is. Market Maker is a national platform that seeks to make local food more accessible to consumers and connect farmers to larger markets. 
When Good Food joined Market Maker, they teamed up with the Iowa State University's Extension Farm Food Program and used the program in a way that worked to help local farmers. We began a relationship with Market Maker about two years ago, and we are, the Virgin Islands Good Food is building a virtual farmer's market, so we're building our own app um, for local food, which is in its final stages, called What's Good. What we used it for is to begin to begin to map farmers and farms and where they are for disaster tracking. Even with the development of their own platform, Good Food doesn't intend to end their relationship with Market Maker. We intend to use it as a back-end plug-in when our app is up because it will then attract people to, who are visiting in the States who are interested in eating local or interested in agritourism. So people in Florida would much more go to like the local market maker webpage, but they would still find the Virgin Islands. And when they come to the Virgin Islands, hopefully they will use our app, What's Good. The Good Food Coalition won $3,000, and Summer says all of that money will be going right to the territory's farmers. We're going to use it to fund our Good Food Box program. Um, so that's one. The money we got goes right to farmers. It don't even come to us. We're like, this money is for farmers. Mm -hmm. So in 2024, we're going to spend that money with local farmers and hopefully incentivize them to participate more because the direct correlation is actually making a market, a new e-commerce market for farmers to have more customers and for consumers to have more convenience. Their Good Food Bucks program aims to not only benefit farmers, but consumers as well. It's a small voucher that we make. They value um, at $5. And at community events, what we do in order for Good Food to collect information from consumers, like I might say, come up to me and if you, you know, give me your email address, I'm going to give you $10 worth of Good Food bucks. And that, that's a voucher that acts like cash with farmers. So at the end of the event now, farmers can come and collect cash from Virgin Islands Good Food. You're listening to the WTJX Newsfeed. Charges were announced today for a St. Croix woman facing a 153-count wire fraud indictment. According to court documents on November 10th of 2015, 47-year-old Nicole Morales began her employment as an office manager with Nicholas Newman Logan Gray and Lockwood PC, a local commercial and banking law firm. She was responsible for processing employee payroll and from December 2015 through January 2019, Morales engaged in a pattern of inflating her payroll. According to court documents, she also wired just over $370,000 from her employer's bank account into three separate personal bank accounts. If convicted, Morales faces a sentence of up to 20 years in prison. The case is being investigated by the FBI and being prosecuted by the assistant U.S. attorney, Danielle Huston. The Virgin Islands Police Department has 11 new sergeants. On St. Croix, the Honorable Judge Yvette Ross Edwards swore in Cadre Emmanuel Morris Jr., Detective Moses President, Detective Melissa Banulos, Detective Aisha Jules, and Officer Denisha Samuel Santos. On St. Thomas, Honorable Judge Deborah Watlington swore in Cadre Shoel Turnbull Grenaway, Detective Jamal Fleming, Detective Tamir Freeman, Officer James Dow Jr., Officer Vernon Carr, and Detective Shanice Potter. The Virgin Islands Economic Development Authority, in collaboration with the Virgin Islands Council of the Arts, is hosting once again their Made in the USVI pop-up shops. 
Managing Director for the Enterprise Zone Commission, Ms. Nadine Marchena-Ken, says the St. Thomas shop is currently open. The store has all kinds of wonderful items. Um, it includes um, books, uh, spa items, art, just a, a lot of art this time. Really great. And of course, we have punk seasoning, we have coquito, we have teas, um, we have gift boxes with specialty items like shootamon, you know, we have all kinds of things. We have the native recipes cookbook, and we have two new cookbooks from the University of the Virgin Islands. Ms. Ken says tomorrow is the last day to take advantage of any last-minute holiday shopping. We never work on a Sunday, and so Sunday is the 24th, and we're not going to be open Christmas Eve. So the last day is the 23rd, Saturday the 23rd. Uh, we close our doors at 12 o'clock on that day. So we encourage you to come on down. Normally we open at 10, and we uh, close on a daily basis at 6. The store would typically be held in the Council of the Arts building, but it's now being housed on Main Street. It is halfway down the Main Street on the right-hand side in a salmon brown two-story building, and it has a sign that says Made in the USVI. For the older people in the community, it is across from where Swakis used to be. Um, and for the younger crowd, it is at the end of the Main Street side of the alley that used to be Coconuts and is now homegrown restaurant and grill. As we make our way down the news feed, we turn now to our regional report. Suriname's former dictator Desi Bouters was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the murder of 15 opponents of the then military regime in December of 1982. Bouters, who was 78 years old, was previously sentenced in the case in 2019 and in 2021, but appealed both decisions. The former president remains chair of the National Democratic Party and some fear unrest in parts of Suriname. The former dictator has accepted political responsibility, but insists he was not present for the killings known as the December murders. The criminal trial began in 2007, a quarter century after the events it relates to. Batoris unsuccessfully tried to push through an amnesty law after being elected in 2010. Then in 2016, he ordered Suriname's attorney general to halt legal proceedings alleging national security reasons. A court rejected that. There's still a chance for scattered showers, but the heat continues to stay at bay. We're turning now to the territory's weather forecast. Here's the latest look at the short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. Mostly sunny skies continue area-wide this afternoon. There's the chance for a few showers, mainly at sunset. Temperatures will hold in the middle 80s at St. Croix. Winds from the east-northeast at 5 to 10 miles per hour. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find more scattered showers at sunset. Highs will also hold in the middle 80s and east-northeast wind at around 10 miles per hour. Tonight features scattered showers tapering off early to mostly cloudy skies after midnight area-wide.
Lows will fall back into the middle 70s at St. Croix. Winds from the northeast at 10 to 15 miles per hour. At St. Thomas and St. John, the showers will take a little bit longer to taper off after midnight. Lows will also hold in the middle 70s. Winds from the northeast at 10 to 15 miles per hour. Gusts up close to 20. And Saturday features a mostly cloudy day area-wide, though more clouds will be expected at St. Thomas and St. John. Showers are also expected in the afternoon with highs in the middle 80s at St. Croix. Winds from the east at 10 to 15 miles per hour. And at St. Thomas and St. John, highs will only reach 80 with winds from the east at 5 to 10 miles per hour. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTGX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. If you haven't already, be sure to download the WTGX app. And if you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts. I hope your holiday season is filled with love and laughter. And from all of us here, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays.